You're welcome. Before we get into the message, thank you again for all of your um, pastor appreciation, your, your gift cards and the gifts of money, the financial gifts. I appreciate it. I can retire now because <laughs> you guys are very generous. Um, but even more than that, those of you that wrote notes of affirmation and encouragement and um, some of you highlighted some, some things that have happened in your life um, since you've been a part of this congregation. And the thing that is, is so meaningful is um, you, didn't, you didn't just talk about me, you talked about how God had worked through me. And that's the greatest affirmation that you can ever give me because that's, that's the point. So I appreciate all of that, but I especially appreciate it because the kids... Um, gave me, decorated that box that you saw on um, Pastor Appreciation Sunday, and it's in my office. I think I'm going to use it for, most of you don't know this, but the kids know that there are pretzels in my office. That if they come visit me, they can get. So I think I'm going to use that box for pretzels for the kids. But they, uh, so I wanted to say thank you, especially to the kids. From Zoe, she wrote me a, a nice little card. Um, said, I love you, and I'm not sure what the back says. But thank you, Zoe, for that card. That's very nice. And then for Lincoln, I love you, and Jesus loves you. It's very nice, and he drew a picture on the back of it for me. So thank you, Lincoln. And then from Tyler, I think you are the number one pastor. <laughs> I love you. He says, thank you, Tyler, for that. And on the back, I, I, I'm, you're, Tyler, you're going to have to interpret this for me. Because it's got a compass on the back, and I assume that's me standing underneath it. So, so I don't know if it's like I'm the best in the north, east, south, west. Heard. Yeah, is that what it was? And then one, I think this, Daniel, did you sign this? I think this is from Dan. Yeah, there it is. Jesus loves you with lots of hearts. And there's Jesus. He's the one with the halo. Mm -hmm. And then Rosalind wrote me a card before, I guess she knew she was going to write one in class. Again, you are the best pastor in the world. I, loving, I love having you as our pastor. So that was nice. And Jesus was on the back of that one too. They got their priorities straight. They call me the best pastor, but here, here's the secret I know about all of these kids. I'm the only pastor they've ever had. <laughs> but I'm the best. So thank you, all of you guys. I appreciate it. Lord, I pray now that you would take charge. God, that we would hear the words, that you would provide the encouragement or conviction that you have in mind. Lord, I, I pray that you would take charge of us and this place, um, that you, only your Holy Spirit can be operative here, yeah. that you would place a supernatural bubble from all anything that the devil might want to do. God, that you would just sweep that away and only you, may we experience only you in these moments. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This message is like a pre-op meeting in the military. Um, before any kind of uh, assignment or mission, they'll pull the soldiers, they'll pull the officers together first, and they'll brief them on what their assignment is and, and what to pay attention to. And then the officers will pull the troops together and they'll give them their assignments. So this week, more than trying to inspire you or give you new information, I want this to be a challenge for this week as we look at this week of prayer and fasting as a mission, as an assignment, 
and give you some pre-assignment, pre-operation challenge and information. So to do that, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, and we'll begin with verse 14. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. Anybody need a Bible? We got some Bibles in the back. Mark 9, begin with verse 14. We discover this, we pick up the story where Jesus has been up on the Mount of Transfiguration, being transformed in front of Peter, James, and John. Moses and Elijah show up in in a glorified bodily form. Jesus is transfigured before them to uh, give, convince them who he really is. And he's, now he's coming back down the mountain. And when they came back to the disciples, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed because there's probably residual glory from that transfiguration. And they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. What we know is, previously, they had been able Because Jesus had sent them out two by two, telling them, cast out demons, announce the kingdom of God, heal the sick, um, and and, and get people ready for me. So they had been able to cast out demons, and they had cast out demons previously. But now, in this instance, they, they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, do you hear the frustration in his voice? O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Because when demons get close to Jesus, they fight. And now this, the demon inside of this boy is fighting. And Jesus said to the father, how long has he has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. It's tried to kill him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Help my unbelief. And that's a good prayer. I pray those kinds of prayers a lot. When God says, trust me, I say, God, I do trust you, but help me to trust you more. Help me to lean into you more. So that was a good prayer. That was a good response from this father. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came, saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, "You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again." Now remember, he's been this way since childhood, but a word from Jesus changes everything. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, "He is dead." But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And if you look in your Bible, there will be a little number beside it, because it will tell you at the bottom, a footnote, that in in many manuscripts, It also includes the words and fasting. And I believe that's correct. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. That's a reality check 
for the disciples and for us. If we want to experience God as he designed, we must pray and fast as a lifestyle, um, not just when we need something, but as a way of gaining intimacy with God, gaining alignment with him. By God's design, you know, God could have designed it so that he's almighty God. God could have done anything when he's creating. He could have done anything. But by his design, throughout the Bible, what we discover is some things don't happen unless people pray. Some, some things only occur that God wants to occur as the people of God align and seek God with all that they've, all of, that they've got and allow God to do what he wants to do. Prayer and fasting are not powerful because we are powerful. They're powerful because it connects with Almighty God. But he says there are some things that don't happen. So these disciples were uh, not experiencing what God wanted them because, and he tells them, the indication is you weren't praying and fasting. So you can't do that. So let's talk about it. Living with Jesus in assignments, because I believe this week is an assignment for us that will lead us into a deeper experience of him, which leads us into deeper meaning. So my goal is to motivate you to pray and fast as God wants you to pray and fast. So here are some parts to this. Number one, I talked about this in learning community, and it's, I just believe it's real strong for us. There's more at stake than we realize. Never before has God um, had me thinking and praying about a week of prayer and fasting so far in advance and with such intensity. I believe that there's more at stake um, than we realize. God does not reach into our lives with things that don't matter. And so when he invites us to pray and fast, it's because Things matter. And we don't realize how seemingly insignificant things might matter a lot. So in verse 19, he says, Oh, faithless generation. Jesus is frustrated. He said, Oh, faithless generation. When he's saying faithless, he's saying, You are not trusting me. You are not leaning into me. You are not um, dedicating yourself to me enough. He says, how long am I to bear with you? And then in verse 29, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. There are some things that don't happen unless God's people join with God and seeking him with all we've got. And fasting is a means that he's given to us to align ourselves with him. Fasting is prayer on steroids, leaning into him, seeking him and allowing him to work. Jesus' frustration tells us that he expected them to be able to do this. And how, much, how many places are there in our lives where he expects us to do things and we're not doing them? Not because he doesn't offer the power, but because we're not aligning ourselves enough with him. We'll talk more about that in a moment. I wonder what had kept... So it seems like Jesus' indication is you should have been fasting and praying. And, and so if that's true, I wonder what had gone through the disciples' minds that had prevented them from doing that. Could it be that, you know, Jesus had this habit of, of going off by himself and praying all night? Could it be that he had somewhere along the line invited them to come and be with him and pray all night as well? We know when he gets to Gethsemane, he does. Could, could it be? But in their minds, was it, the, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter if we do that then or not, we can do it later. It doesn't, it's really not that big a deal if we sleep. Um, or maybe they said to themselves, you know, we, we got, we're traveling a lot. And we're going we're to have to walk a lot between these cities. And, and we need to keep our energy up. So we need to sleep and we need to keep eating because, you know, we, we and they made all kinds of excuses. Whatever it was had caused them not to be in sync with God so that this, this, this boy was not delivered by them with the power of God through them, but rather suffered more until Jesus came down the mountain. 
They were out of sync with God, out of his direction. What if there are things at stake in our lives that God is saying, come spend time with me, fast and pray, get in sync with me, pay attention, obey, confess, repent, and obey, surrender, listen, and obey, do these things, because he knows in this realm, in the physical realm, there are things at stake that we're not aware of. In this case, it was for somebody else. What if there are things at stake in our kids' lives, our parents' lives, our, 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 our friends' and family's lives, that God is inviting us to fast and pray that will make a difference in other people's lives? And what, what, what if in the heavenly realm, in the unseen, God is inviting us to join him so that his angels have the resources. His, the unseen, has movement in it. We don't know what our obedience or disobedience might do. I talked in the learning community about some, after, after sensing this, there's more at stake than we realize in this week of fasting and prayer and the prayer gathering. Um, about people in the Bible who just little thing, little acts of obedience and disobedience that they were they didn't even didn't didn't think would matter, but mattered a lot. Number two, being in sync. It's about being in sync. Being on assignment with Jesus is about being in sync. Now, for those of you that are my age, you remember I'm not talking about the band in the boy band in the mid '90s. That's a different kind of in sync. It's being in sync, though, is being in step. It's being in tune. It's on the same wavelength. Being s- working together simultaneously. It's the marching band marching in step. It's the um, it's the dance group that is dancing in sync. Not all necessarily doing the same thing, but in sync with each other. In tune on the same wavelength. Living in sync with Jesus is the life of a Christ follower. Look at the scriptures that I put there. That's the role. That's the assignment to us is to live in sync with him. To live, when Jesus came, he said, follow me. What does that mean? Fall in step with me. I do what I do. Say what I say. Go where I go. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also, what? Keep in step with the Spirit. That's being in sync. Matthew eleven twenty nine. take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In other words, put your head in the yoke. There's a, Jesus is on one side, we're on the other, like a yoke of oxen. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Be in sync with me. And John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. In sync. Staying attached, allowing the same nutrients to flow through us that's flowing from Jesus. And then I put this, this was in the bulletin or in the sermon outline a couple of weeks ago. The pressure is off. When this is our assignment, just to live in sync. That's it. Just to pay attention to where Jesus is and do everything that he does. The pressure's off. Because when living in sync is with Jesus, the sole responsibility is. Just to live in sync. Just to live in sync. And then he's responsible for the results. As well as providing protection and provisions as he leads us all the way home. So I, we, we've talked around here a lot about being in sync by knees and nudges. So knees means you start every day surrendering yourself to God. And I encourage you physically get on your knees. Lord, I give this day to you. And then however God wants you to pray, you're just, you're just dedicating your day to him. And then nudges is the paying attention to the nudge of God to do whatever he wants you to do. Make a phone call, send a card, help another friend, be honest when you're tempted to be dishonest. Just, just the nudges of living in step with him, the nudges. The difficulty is that, that sometimes we don't think, we don't take the nudges seriously because Jesus doesn't usually come slap us in the face. He usually just nudges us. 
here's I need you to do this. The flip side of that is if you don't follow a nudge, you're moving away from Jesus. Those little nudges that we don't think are very important, and sometimes they're not a big deal, but they could be. If we don't follow that nudge, we're actually pulling away from Jesus. Because you're only moving towards him, more in lockstep or more away from him. When I was a drum major and I was trying to teach um, the, the new members to walk in step, it didn't take but just a little bit to be off. And you're watching there and everybody else's legs are moving exactly the same. There's one person just a little bit off that ruins the whole thing. So when we don't follow, this is important. You need to follow the nudge because if you don't, you move away from Jesus and you, you're farther away now. You can't hear him as clearly. And you, and you don't follow the next one and you move. And it's not very long before you're like the disciples trying to do what you think God wants you to do and not being able to do it. And other people suffer because of it. In sync is huge. Number three, <clears throat> the two sides of God's assignments. So I believe this is an assignment. This week is an assignment. For you to ask God how he wants you to fast, how he wants you to pray, how he wants you to seek him this week. And so that's the first side. The objective to accomplish. That's the first side of the assignment. And that's where we usually focus. You know, because the Bible talks about we need to be the salt of, of the earth. We need to be the light of the world. We need to live as representatives of Jesus. Um, we need to point people to Jesus. All of that is the, is the assignment. And then sometimes he gives us specific things that he wants us to do. But, and so um, we focus on, okay, God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to stay in step? Getting in sync with him. Just getting in sync with him. Getting in sync with him. And so that assignment is this week to fast and pray. What is it, Lord, that you want, want to do? What do you want me to do? So if you take a look at the bulletin insert... <clears throat> so you could we've read through um, most of this before, so I'm, I want you to go down to the bottom of the first page. Prepare. Between now and November 5th, which I believe that's today. Yes. Daily surrender, but you can con continue to do this. Daily surrender, confess. If there's something in your life that you need to, that you just, there's a stronghold, is a lifestyle sin that you need to confess. You, you need to follow James chapter 5, confess to somebody else, repent and obey. And then, um, middle of the next page, during the week of prayer and fasting, asking God to, here's what I want you to pray for. Bring revival, spiritual awakening. So every day as you're fasting, pray that God would convict us to see how we need to change. Give us the courage to change so that it will transform us. That the Holy Spirit will change us from the inside out to become more and more like him. That God would show us how he wants to use us in practical ways. And then a big one is that God would reach into the lives of the children and teens in our congregation. Um, we've that, what, do we, what do we call that? The prayer hive. The prayer hive um, that Katie has, and, and Candace have talked about in the past. Pray for the children in New Song every day. Pray for their parents. And then the, bring the lost and lonely. Some of you are here today because every week of prayer and fasting... We pray that the lost, those who don't know Christ as Savior, will be brought, brought to him. And the lonely, those who don't have a church home, will find their way here. And some of you are here because we prayed for you. And you've found God and you found a church home that God wants you to be a part of. And then praying for me and, and others as God leads. So that's the assignment. That's the active assignment. What I haven't in the past recognized 
And I don't hear many people talking about is the other side of the assignment. So if this is a pre-operation meeting, military meeting, the officer in charge would explain, here's our objective. We're going to, um, we need to take that, that town or we need to take that beach or we need to um, take out the enemy in this particular place. And that's the, that's the one side. That's the, that's the assignment side. The other piece that I don't think we have done well in the Christian church is, and here's the, the forces that are against us. As you go to take that beach, what you need to know is there are going to be um, uh, two divisions up there and, and an artillery division and a tank division trying to kill you. And here's where their strength's going to be. Here's where we think their weakness is going to be. And so you need, you need to be aware that that's, you're going to be attacked. That's what I haven't, I haven't paid that much attention to. And so that's the second part of the assignment is we need to fight off with intensity the direct attacks of the enemy. Every single one, every single person who is a Christ follower has an enemy, the devil and all the demonic forces trying to take you out. So my focus has been, Lord, help us to, to reach the lost and the lonely reach into the kids of our kids' lives and not thinking about the other side is that we have an enemy who is intentionally trying to take us out. Amen. I was in a meeting with a group of pastors recently and um, prior to that meeting, I had sensed God beginning to show me this, how the enemy tries to get into our hearts and our minds to get us to believe things that aren't true. And I was sitting in a pastor's meeting, and as I'm sitting there, I'm realizing the things that are coming out of their mouths as they're trying to make important decisions aren't even true. And they don't know they're not true. Because the enemy was intent. And so at one point I even said to them, do you guys know that you have an enemy. You're, you're, try, you're praying that God would lead you to accomplish this assignment, but you don't realize that you have an enemy who has been planting um, ideas and thoughts in your mind that has led you just a little bit off trajectory that now you're not even thinking clearly. And, and it was like they couldn't quite get it. But it was as clear as day to me because they weren't off that much but they were off enough. And, and the way you can recognize it is when it doesn't make sense. Why would they be thinking that? Why would they be saying that? It's not that they were um, profoundly being disobedient of the Bible. It's just that they were believing things that weren't true. And so their trajectory was off. Now, if a group of pastors can be that way, do you think maybe we, as a congregation, might be vulnerable to that as well. Every follower of Christ has been declared an enemy by the devil and his forces. And so they deliberately, intentionally, strategically attack us to prevent us from living in sync. Look at the scriptures that I put there for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You have an enemy who is seeking to devour you. He is actively working to take you out. And so it's not enough just to pray, God, help me with this assignment. We also need to be praying, God, show me the enemy. Give me eyes to see in the spiritual realm what's going on and how he's attacking me, how he's trying to get me off track. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing, here it is in our heads, that the same kind of suffering, same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
In other words, there you have an enemy who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to tempt you. He's trying to get you off trajectory. He's trying to make you mad. He's trying to get your mind off, off the things of God. Um, and then 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. Refer, them referring to the evil spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So here's the good news. You've got an enemy, so you've got an assignment. Pray and fast as God leads you, praying these prayers. You have an assignment, and you have an enemy who's trying to take you out. But the good news is, God has given you His Spirit within you that are greater than any demonic force, any temptation, any distraction, anything that you ever face, if you're paying attention and you access the resources that He has. Greater is He that is in you so we, we lean on him. We stay in sync with him. We resist the devil and he has to flee. So we have an assignment, but we also have to pay attention to the enemy's attacks. Otherwise we'll get sucked in. Ignorance leads us to defeat. Not paying attention leads us to defeat, which leads us to number four. Our minds are the great battlefield. So if you, as we look at these scriptures that I've already read, so oftentimes it's knowledge, it's our minds, it's our thoughts, it's, our, it's paying attention. Our minds are the great battlefield. So one of, um, I, I thanked all the little kids, but um, also have a big kid. Where is he at? Oh, he's up here. So my buddy Luke went to Gettysburg this last couple months ago, I guess it was. Um, and while they were at Gettysburg, um, he brought back this for me. He bought me a gift. Here he is. He, Luke's my buddy. He, he's a couple hundred miles away, and he's thinking about his pastor. I'll bet you guys don't go on vacation and think about your pastor, do you? No. Why would you? I mean, seriously. But he was, and, and he knows I'm a history guy, and I've gone to Gettysburg a lot, so he was in the store. And, and he actually, not only was he thinking about me, but he spent his own money to bring me back something. So this, you can't see it. Um, that is what? It's a penny. The Lincoln head penny. And so that's actually a picture of that. If you look on the other side of it, it's a puzzle. It's not just any puzzle, it's a mini puzzle. <laughs> Those of you who do jigsaw puzzles, um, most of the puzzles are like 28 by 20 inches or so. This is seven inches. Seven inches. See, it's seven, seven inches. And 140 pieces. You can't see in the side of it, but I wouldn't be surprised if you open it up and it comes with a set of tweezers. Because these are really, really small pieces. And so my mind went two directions. Does he hate me? Or does he love me? Does he, because this... I was not excited. When, I, when he said he had something for me, I was excited because he's thinking about me and he bought me something. He uses his own money to pay for it. And then he hands me this. <laughs> and now I was not excited because some other people have given me mini puzzles. And mini puzzles are a chore, not an enjoyment. And so when he hands me this, I'm thinking, I think he hates me. I really think he hates me. I think he, he gave me something. He got me all excited. And now he pulled the carpet out from under me. And, and he, just, he just is being mean to me. But then I thought, no, I know Luke. He, he loves me. Well, maybe he doesn't love me anymore. Maybe he really does hate me. Maybe I've teased him one too many times. Maybe I've asked him to sweep the floor, vacuum one too many times. Now he hates me. And now he's insidiously, nefariously behind, going behind, trying to find something that will just drive me crazy and drive me over the top and put me into retirement. <clears throat> and that way he can get rid of, and then he can be the pastor. Right, Luke? Isn't that what you want? You want to be the pastor, right? He, 
So here's the question. Does he love me or does he hate me? And the answer is, we don't, and, and this is an example. So we don't know what something is until we go to the source and ask. And so I said, Luke, did you get this because you hate me? And he got this big smile on his face. No, I, I like you. You're my pastor. Okay, well, let me recommend a different gift next time. <laughs> we don't know the meaning of something when we face it in life unless we go to God and ask. But we, sin has turned us so upside down that we think we know. Yeah. When we hear something, when we see something, we automatically think we know. Yeah. And we trust our feelings and we trust our thoughts. And so oftentimes they're motivated by the enemy rather than by God. Yeah. My point here is it, it's our mind that much of our understanding and interpretation of what we think and feel is based on faulty human nature. And even worse than that, we can be blind even to the need to ask God. Yeah. So sitting in that room with those pastors, they had been asking God to guide them, but they didn't know that they had an enemy who was whispering in their ears and they had believed the enemy and they were blind to even recognizing that they were believing Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. This is one of our memory verses. So when we're thinking about enemy attacks and enemy strategies, this scripture applies to that. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. So why would we believe our own thoughts? If they're, um, because in verse 9, for the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Why would we believe our own thoughts? Because we are arrogant, proud human beings. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to you. Every single one of us has more pride than we realize, more confidence because we assume that we know because of our experience, because of, of our sinfulness, because we think we're smart, because of expertise. We believe thoughts that we don't even realize come or, or that come from the enemy. We believe, so when a thought comes to our mind, so oftentimes we believe it's right. That our opinion or our understanding is correct. That's why the world's in the trouble that it is, right? That's why this whole thing, your truth and my truth and relativism and all that stuff, because each person believes they're right. So if you go on vacation with Sheila's side of the family and you walk into a big house that we rent, one person, one sister will walk in and she'll move things around in the kitchen because um, they're not in the place that they should be. The next sister comes in and she looks and she goes, oh, that's not right. And she moves the things around in the kitchen to a different place because that's where they should be. The third sister, Sheila, comes in, looks around. And she goes, that's not right. Herb, move this. Because <laughs> she doesn't want to be blamed for it, but she wants to direct. And then the fourth sister comes in and she goes, who in the world has been in this kitchen? And she moves it around the place. The youngest is a boy, and he walks in and he goes, oh, my sister's been at it again. I'm leaving. <laughs> and if you ask each one of those sisters why they did that, they will tell you because that's the way it should be. The, believing, and, and we're all like that. I'm not picking on our sisters. We're all like that. We believe what we think is the right way. And we believe it with God when it comes to God. We don't pause to say, God, is this true or not? Even when we're praying, we don't know. So our memory verse, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. That's not just when we're, we can't think of something. It's all the time. Because the very thing that we might be praying for in another person 
to, for God to deliver is the exact thing that he wants to use in order to make them grow. But we don't know that unless we're asking him and praying according to his will. It's kind of, so what we have is it's kind of like the old cartoon. Devil on one shoulder, angel on the other. Remember those? And the devil is whispering in the ear and the angel is whispering in the ear and, and, the, and the person doesn't even realize that he has two voices going on. And I'm telling you, we as American Christians listen to the devil way more than we realize. Look at what the scripture says. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10, begin with verse 3. So our assignment is what God wants us to accomplish. But then the other part of the mission is paying attention to the thoughts that are coming into our heads. For 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're still in these human bodies, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We're not fighting against other people, and we're not using weapons that, that chop people's heads off. For the weapons of our warfare... The assignment that we're in are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds are those places in our hearts and souls that the devil has gotten a stronghold and is affecting our lives. He says, we, God wants to reach in with his divine power to destroy those so that that's surrendered and we become more like Jesus. And so we destroy, notice the words he uses, arguments, Thoughts. Every lofty opinion. Thoughts. Raised against the knowledge. Thoughts. And, take every, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So what he's saying is we take every thought captive. So when a thought comes into our mind, we, instead of assuming we're right, we pause and we say, God, what is this? Is this from you? Or is this from the enemy? Because we don't just like with Luke, you don't know whether he hates me or loves me unless you ask him. We don't know what God is saying unless we ask him. And we've got to stop assuming because there are thoughts that come in our minds that we don't realize are from the enemy. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Flip over there. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've been reconciled to God, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's what week of prayer and fasting is about, seeking God with all that we've got. How do you do that? Set your minds, here we go again, set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your minds on things above. Us recognizing that you got devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, and the devil is feeding you lies all the time, trying to get, and he gets very good at it until you listen to God and say, God, is that from you? Does it line up with Scripture? Does it line up with God's principles and purposes? And sometimes we have to ask other people because sometimes we can get so blind and so dumb that we don't even know ourselves. Intentional actions. So here's what I know. I know the enemy does not want you to fast and pray. And he'll do everything he can to prevent it. Because he knows when you fast and pray, you align yourself more closely with God. You get more in sync with him. And that takes him away from you. It takes you away from him. I know the enemy does not want you to be a part of prayer gathering. Because the more people who have the Holy Spirit living within them that praise God, read scripture together, pray together, it, it attacks the devil's territory. And it and accomplishes something in the heavenlies. So what, what would the enemy try to do? 
You, you say, I'm signing up for this assignment. I'm going to do this. I'm go- every day I'm going to pray and fast in whatever way that God leads you to do. What would he do? What strategies and tactics would he employ? He would try to get you to get frustrated with somebody else. That's mind and heart. He would try to get you to think that you are going the right way when actually you're just a couple of degrees off and convince you that you are. He would try to discourage you by believing that you can't do things that God says you can. So this came to mind as we think about this week. Here are some of the thoughts that the enemy will use. Camouflage thoughts. We follow our human nature, and so we think that our thoughts are correct. We think that our thoughts are valid. Um, So here's one. Well, you know that prayer gathering thing, that's not really for me. And you believe that. And I'm telling you, that's a lie. Gathering with people to pray is what God wants. Here's another one. Oh, you know, I, they, I just can't fast. I can't. That's a lie. Because you can give up something. You may not be able to do a liquid fast, but you can give up something. Camouflage. But, but the, the problem is we have a thought and we think it's valid. We think it's true. We think our opinion is right. And we never question it. Here's another one. Comfort thoughts. Comfort thoughts. Another strategy is for the devil to convince us that for to be uncomfortable um, is not what God would want. Here's a phrase that I hate. I'm not comfortable with that. But you know how that permeates our whole culture? Now, let me, it's just here. I'm just going to be as, trans, I'm, I'm going to be blunt. In the last prayer gathering, we did something very different. I mean, there were some things that we did that were uncomfortable. Not wrong. I mean, nobody got crazy. But for some of us, it made us uncomfortable. And there's a tendency to say, wow, that made me uncomfortable. That must not be for me. Jesus made a vocation of making people uncomfortable. That was his job. Even his disciples, those who were close, he worked hard at making people uncomfortable. The re- if you were uncomfortable last time, you ought to come just to overcome that. So being comfortable is not God's priority for you. Now, he gives us comfort when we're hurting, but his job is not to make you comfortable in this world. So, and, and, and by the way, we don't do everything right. So there may have been some things that I would do different in the, you know, in the last, that we did in the last prayer gathering because um, all the kids wrote those notes and they think I'm perfect. But you all know that I'm not. So we're never going to do everything perfect. In fact, some of you are going, Herbert's past 1130. I think you should shut up. But I'm glad to make you uncomfortable. The other one is critical thoughts. And this is where the devil really sneaks in. And here's how it looks. We will see somebody do something that we don't think is right or we, we think, um, and we get judgmental. And we say, that person shouldn't have done that. And maybe they shouldn't. But we get critical instead of caring. Because you know what? In, in, when we gather and, and we're vulnerable together and we're transparent with each other, yeah, we're, we're not going to get everything right. But sometimes when somebody doesn't do something right, it's because God is wanting them to face it. And if we get uncomfortable with it or we start being judgmental about it, we start being critical with other people. The fact is we just studied Philippians and in Philippians chapter two, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So instead of getting judgmental or critical, we go, I'm going to pray for that person. 
I wonder, I bet there's something going on in their life. How can I help them? How can I reach toward them? That's the body of Christ because that thought is from the enemy. So those are just some examples of some thoughts. I believe there's more at stake than we realize. I've been believing this for quite some time in the seen and in the unseen. This message is for us as believers, as an army of God. Um, and I can tell you right now, I was, I was um, led to start my fast early to, as kind of the, as, as a leader, sometimes you're asked to, to take the lead. And so um, I started fasting a few days ago. And I can tell you, it's one of the hardest fasts I've ever had. Physically, mentally, relationally, emotionally, this has been some of the hardest four days of my life already. So be forewarned. We're doing, this fast is about battle. And I plead with you to set aside all of this. Stop believing anything the enemy is saying that would keep you from participating. Because the smallest act of obedience might have eternal implications for you and for the people around you that you care about. Would you bow your heads? Out of all of this that I've talked about this morning, what is God pointing at that he wants you to do? And how does he want you to do it? And will you do it? Lord, we give you praise because you are almighty God. We give you praise and thanks because your steadfast love endures forever. And you have invited us to be your body. What a privilege, what an honor it is. And yet, the same war that you walked into when you walked this earth, is the same war that we have to face. And so God, I pray that you would make each of us strong and focused. God, I pray that you would remove all of our excuses and that you would not unite us in ways that we've never been united before so that we can accomplish the task. But in, in even perhaps more than that, we can become more like you so the enemy's strategies won't work anymore. The thoughts that he puts in our heads we will evaluate and turn over to you and we will begin to think like Jesus and, and we will begin to be transformed more and more in ways that we never thought we could. And we will become conduits of your presence in this world. Lord, I pray for each person that you would give them strength and help and encouragement as we go through this week. You would give them an awareness of the enemy's schemes that they've never had before. That you would remind us to lean on each other, to connect with each other, and to allow you to work as you see fit to work. So we are yours, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.